morning, everybody. Welcome. All right. Oh, perfect. We got the Chromecast up. Okay. So this morning, we are continuing on our series on the life of David. All right. So um, just to kind of recap, as we started, we're only in week three of studying the life of David. And we're studying it because there's more said about David in the Old Testament than anybody else. Right? More chapters devoted, more books devoted, more is said about the life of David um, than anybody else in the Old Testament. And why is that? And we find the answer in Isaiah 55. God tells it plainly. He says, because David is a model. David is what I want you to emulate. All right. Um, and so we, we talked about uh, the reasons for studying David. We talked also about um, why he is a model. So in Isaiah 55, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. So if there's somebody to emulate uh, in the Old Testament is David. He's a foreshadowing of eventually his son, the son of David. All right? He foreshadows many of the things um, that Jesus is going to be the true and better at, but he is still a great model because, like us, David is obviously very imperfect. And all his imperfections, all his failures are there for us to see. And yet still God says about him, he is one after my own heart. So how much, how much better and easy to relate with uh, David and his failures, but also the blessings of the Lord upon him. So he's a great person to study. Uh, last week, uh, Becca talked about the different seasons and stages of David's life that God brought him through. Many different places, high and low, as a shepherd out in the field to the king of Israel, winning battles, being chased by his enemies, through them all, highs and lows, different seasons, how, how David still kept his heart uh, right before the Lord, faithful to, to loving the Lord and faithful in the little things, faithful in the great things. Again, an awesome model of how we too, through the different seasons that God brings us to, can patiently wait on the Lord and also keep our, right, our hearts right before him. All right. Today we're, we're jumping in week three and this is the anointing of David. All right, The anointing of David, which can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Okay, and We've got our favorite Bible reader. With his loud and booming voice, Isaac, would you stand up for us and would you read for us 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting verse 1, and we'll read to verse 14. On the spot. Oh, I gave you a warning. All right. <laughs> now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The Lord's, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance for at his phys or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, 
And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he brought. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and the distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Thank you for reading the word of the Lord for us this morning. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you. All right. So uh, this story, this anointing, this is the anointing of, oh, thank you. Thank you, Isaac. Great reader. Everybody give, let's give uh, Isaac a round of applause. He's great reading. All right. Great voice. Gifted. Gifted. And today we're talking about giftings. All right. The giftings, the way that the Lord sees them and the way that we as man see them. This is an awesome story here in the Bible because God shows what he is looking for. All right. And he contrasts that to Samuel. And it says, Samuel, this is what man sees and this is what I see. All right. Which is amazing contrast because Samuel, this is Samuel who is arguably the greatest judge of Israel. Right. He's a prophetic guy. He's a seer. He's a leader of Israel. And even Samuel can't quite see what God sees in this young shepherd boy, all right? Because the Lord says to Samuel, I see the heart, all right? What man sees is not what I evaluate. What I evaluate is inside in the heart. It's a much more difficult thing to see, all right? Uh, the anointing, the anointings and giftings, they're much easier external things. Even if they're not physical appearance, uh, even giftings, we can recognize them pretty easily. Like you see somebody, uh, you hear like Becca singing, you're like, oh, that sounds better than what I can sing, right? Like you recognize that gifting. Or you hear, uh, you know, you hear Sean playing the drums. I can't even keep a beat, right? And you're like, oh, he's really gifted at, at that. You can't see it physically, but you can recognize it pretty easily. Anointings are pretty easy to recognize. Even Saul recognized in David is like, oh, man, he's a really great musician, and how often do we do that, too, when we see a really awesome worship team, right? Like yesterday, we had to, a bunch of us had a chance to go to the Send, which was this, uh, this conference up in Michigan. So they're standing there worshiping. I'm like, dang, it's been a while since I've heard, like, amazing. There was this uh, electric guitarist. He's incredible, right? And he was Asian, so I was like, yeah, go, brother. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> I was on the stage there. But you, you see all these musicians that you're like, oh, wow, they're, like, amazing. They're so talented, right? You recognize, oh, anointed, like, worship leaders. You're like, wow, that's pretty amazing, right? Like... I'm like, you know, figuring out my four chords and stuff like that. And they're like, wow, that guy's really amazing. Or we, we can see it in effective leadership too, right? We see it in leaders. Like I, when I see my sister leading, I'm like, I, I don't know how to do that, right? Like, I'm, I, like I don't like lead people like, like that. She, like, she's gifted in leadership. Or we see uh, people who are powerful preachers, right? You can listen. I, we've talked about it before. Like if you guys want to listen to some really powerful preachers that are like better than anything like I can <laughs> present up here on the stand, we can point you to some MP3s or things online. Like there's really gifted and powerful preachers and praise God. Like I, I love listening to them and you can recognize them, right? Or even people who are gifted prophets or healers. It's easy to see and easy to recognize. And yet the Lord says, even all those things, which are good things, many of them good things, the Lord says, I'm looking deeper. Right? I'm looking deeper. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the things that are not so easy to see externally. So Samuel, Samuel, uh, this in this story, again, it's an amazing story. Samuel's coming to anoint a new king 
because Saul failed. And we're going to get into Saul's failures a little bit in order to contrast what, uh, what the Lord sees. But um, Samuel goes to see this family in Bethlehem, right? In Bethlehem, it's a small little town. And he goes and visits this family that God leads him to, the family of Jesse. And Jesse, and he's like, Jesse, bring your sons, bring, bring your sons forward. And Jesse presents his oldest, the best. And as soon as Samuel sees him, he's like, surely this is the guy, right? This is the guy. He's impressive looking. Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And God says something amazing to him. And this is the center of this passage, which is Samuel 16, verse 7. The Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. For I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay. And again, you know, even Samuel, even Samuel would have missed it. If it was up to Samuel, Samuel would have anointed Eliab king. We would be talking about King Eliab, all right? But because of this demonstration, the Lord demonstrates to Samuel, his different standard, his different rubric, his rubric, his evaluation is so different. It's an important a super important thing for us to learn because it is something that even Samuel falls into and we fall into all the time, right? Which is looking at the external things, all right? We get impressed by talented musicians. We get impressed by giftings. We get impressed by the anointing, but we don't see what God sees, which is the heart, all right? And so it's a powerful warning to us in our evaluation of not only others, but our evaluation of ourselves, okay? And even Beck talked about last week how David saw not himself in standing before the Lord, not because of things he was accomplishing, but because of what the Lord said about him and what was in his heart. So we have to learn to evaluate. Even something that Samuel had to learn, we have to learn it today, thousands of years later, because it is an easy thing for us to fall into. All right. So it's um, let, so let's talk a little bit about Saul's anointing, and we can contrast that with David's anointing to to sh- really hammer home this point. Okay, and that's what um, God is doing here in chapter sixteen. So you know David was anointed in chapter sixteen, but even earlier Saul was anointed. All right, and David only had to be anointed because uh, anointed to become king because Saul failed at it. All right, Saul failed at it. But let's contrast the two different anointings, all right, these two different chapters. So chapter 9, when we're talking about Saul, in chapter 9, um, they actually talk about Saul's father first. And they say Saul's father was a mighty man of power, all right. And you look in chapter 16, and nobody says anything about Jesse, all right. Jesse is not a mighty man of power. Jesse is not somebody. In fact, Jesse, you know, when they, when they go see Jesse, like Je- David's taking care of the sheep and stuff. When they talk about Saul's father, Kish, he's like this amazing guy. He's got donkeys. Donkeys are more expensive than, than sheep. I, I don't know much about farming, but they definitely were more valuable at that time. All right, so Kish has donkeys. Uh, he's a rich guy, mighty man, mighty man of power, okay? And he's a Benjaminite. So the Benjaminites were the warriors of all the 12 tribes. And in fact, if you look back in uh, Exodus, Jacob, when he's blessing his family, when he's blessing his 12 sons, he talks about the Benjaminites. Uh, there, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. Okay? So we have great warriors that come from Benjamin. In fact, you guys might remember the story of Ehud. We don't have time to read it, but Ehud was a guy who was left-handed. And in that time, it actually meant like he's kind of ambidextrous. So he could fight with both hands. And he was the guy who stabbed the fat, the fat guy, and then the sword like, went into his belly fat and disappeared. Anybody who works in a hospital knows exactly what that looks like. All right. In fact, sometimes, you know, uh, Beckin can tell you the nursing staff, when they get a really, really fat patient, uh, they actually have to check the fat folds to see if there's stuff inside of it, okay? Because sometimes people smuggle, like, drugs and stuff inside in, in their fat folds. Uh, I'm getting to the point where I can try it, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to what, what, what they're trying to do. Okay. Uh, but, 
You know, it's like, a, it's like having pockets without even having pockets in your pants. Anyway, so Ehud was a Benjaminite. Ehud was this great warrior, all right? He single-handedly went and assassinated this evil ruler, all right? He single-handedly assassinated the evil ruler, jumped out, of the, jumped out of the window and fled and, like, rallied Israel. This guy was an awesome warrior, okay? So the Benjamites were, were great warriors. Uh, in fact, at the end of Judges, the Benjaminites single-handedly take on all of Israel, by themselves, okay? There's a civil war at the end of the book of Judges. Benjamin, which is 22 or 26,000 people, takes on the 400,000 of the 11 other tribes on their own, and they almost win. They almost win, if not for the Lord. So the Benjamites are this warrior class, are this warrior group of, of tribe, all right? Um, and then in Judges, it says even there, 700 of them were left-handed. Again, when left-handed in, in war was, was very valuable at that time. They could sling a stone and hit a hair at a, a, a camel's hair and not miss, all right? That's pretty impressive stuff, pretty impressive stuff, all right? So that's where Saul comes from, all right? Saul's dad is awesome, man of valor. His tribe is awesome. They're like the warrior warrior people. They're, they're really great, all right? So that's his background. And then let's look at his appearance too, okay? His appearance is great, all right? I, mean, I would love this description of myself. So in chapter nine, it's Saul's anointing when he's anointed king. Verse two, he is choice, uh, Saul, he's talking about his dad, Kish has a son, a choice and handsome son. I mean, he's choice and handsome, guys. Ladies, yeah, we've got, uh, <laughs> my mom's pointing at Swai because Swai name, Swai's name literally means handsome in Chinese. His Chinese name is handsome, yeah. So like na naming your son handsome. All right, choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel, okay? Nobody was more handsome. So for king, they picked the model, the most, like, think about the most, like, beautiful person, like, uh, handsome guy. I don't know, who's, who, who's the celebrity that's most handsome now, like, high school girls, college girls? I don't know, Jessica, who's, <laughs> who's the guy? I mean, back in my day, all the girls were like, oh, Brad Pitt, like, he's perfect, right? So imagine they, like, took Brad Pitt and made him president because he was, like, he's awesome looking, right? That's what's all, like, they're like, oh, my gosh, he's beautiful, Choice and handsome. Nobody's ever looked at it and said, oh, he's choice, right? Like, like the description of choice. But that's what they're saying about Saul. He's choice and handsome. He's more handsome than anybody in Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people, all right? So that, that's actually where we get the phrase. Have you guys ever heard head and shoulders? Not the brand of uh, dandruff shampoo, but like the phrase like, this person is head and shoulders better than like anybody else. They get that from the Bible, all right? That's from the Bible, head and shoulders. So that just means like anybody else in Israel who he's more handsome than, he was also taller than by his shoulder. Like the next tallest person just comes up to his shoulder. I, was, I thought about this one. Uh, so I, me and my mom had the privilege to go to the Philippines for uh, Isaac's wedding. And as we got off the, the airplane, we got out of the airport, you know, there's a, they don't have like a waiting area in the airport. It's all outside the airport, okay? So there's this huge crowd of people just waiting for everybody that comes off of the plane. And, you know, like I didn't have his number or anything. I was like, man, how am I going to find Isaac in this huge crowd of people? It was fine because as soon as the doors opened to the outside, uh, <clears throat> the average height, I looked this up in the Philippines, the average height is five foot one. Uh, Isaac, how, how tall are you? Yeah, so six foot two. So it's hilarious. The doors of the airport open, and I look out in this throng of Filipino people, and then there's, there's Isaac. There's Isaac. Instantly, instantly could see him. I've got a picture. I, I wish I could put it up. But, like, you can instantly see him. There was nowhere for him to hide because everybody else was coming up to his shoulders. All right, he's easy to see. All right, that's what Saul was. Like, you saw him, you were like, that's a guy who was made to lead. Yeah, 
So again, this is Saul's anointing, all right? This is Saul's anointing moment. They pick him, and he, there's, they say about him, there is no one like him among all the people, all right? The Jewish people, the Israelites see him, and they're like, that's the guy. That's the guy we want to be our king, all right? Let's contrast that with, with David's anointing, all right? So this is where, this is God's choice. And God calls Samuel to go to, to Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem is not just a song. Bethlehem has been a small town throughout the Bible history, all right? A small little town, all right? Small little area, little town, unknown. In fact, it's so small that when Samuel shows up in that passage that we read, the elders are like trembling. They're like, what are you doing here? You know, we're just little town of Bethlehem. Why is the greatest judge of Israel's uh, history coming to our tiny little town? You know, uh, we, were we were up in uh, Michigan this past week, and we were talking to somebody who came from Wyoming. And we were like, oh, what, Wyoming? She was like, yeah, there's two stoplights, and there's 3,500 people in the entire town. All right? And she's like, I knew 90-plus percent of them. All right? There are only 3,500 people. And so it would be like that. Her little town in Wyoming, if, like, you know, the president showed up there, and they'd be like, what in the world are you doing in this tiny little town? Oh, 350? I think it's 35. I think it's 3,500. But anyways, so a small little town. Like, think of a tiny little town. Like, what's a tiny little town here? I, I always pick Circleville because my dad worked there, but I don't want to pick on Circleville because we have some Circlevilleites here. <laughs> Circlevilleites, okay. <laughs> I love little towns. Don't get, don't get me wrong. But it's like as if, like, oh, yeah, like the president was like, coming to Ohio. It's like, oh, why is he coming to Ohio? Uh, because I want to go to Circleville. You'd be like, well, really? Is the pumpkin festival going on? Like, why, why, why would you be going to Circleville, right? It doesn't make sense. The same thing. Samuel shows up at Bethlehem, and they're like, why, why, what are you doing here? Okay. And then David is so young that even after Samuel calls a family together, and he sees, like, okay, you know, you've got, like, you know, eight sons. You know, bring them up. I want to see them all. And, and Jesse only tells him about seven. He only brings seven of them. David was so young, so small, so insignificant to even the family, he didn't even get invited, right? He didn't even get invited. They were like, hey, you know, the president's here. Uh, everybody get together. And then, oh, the tiny little one, uh, it'd be like Asher. It'd be like, Asher, hey, Asher, uh, why don't you hang out back in the kids' room over here, okay? The adults got to go do, like, the adult thing, right? That's David. He's out in the distance. In fact, if you look in the passage, when, Samuel's, when Samuel goes through all the different sons, he's like, this has got to be the one, right, God? God's like, no, 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 no. And they run out. He's like, what the heck? Like, I came all the way here to Bethlehem. You said that this family, there's the, you're anointed here. I've counted all the sons. He talks to Jesse. He's like, Jesse, what, what's going on? Is there another son? And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, like, over there in the distance. You can even see him. He's over there with the sheep, right? He's even within viewing distance. And he still didn't get called over there. That's how lowly people thought of him. How lowly people considered David. There's no way that he was even important enough to be called to the adult table. All right? And the same sort of thing that we look at because we fall in that same trap of Samuel. We look and see, okay, who's got talent? Who's got gifting? All right? Who's well-spoken? Who's uh, older? You know, these are all traps that we sometimes fall into. And even though those things are important, those things are good, God says that is not everything because I see deeper into the heart. And I want you to see what I see. Okay. So again, we look at these different anointings and we say, wow, how different it was at their anointings that God picked uh, David and the people picked Saul. Like, how could it go so wrong? Saul was like supposed to be the best guy, right? He's head and shoulders higher. He's a warrior. Where did he fall? Where did, why, did, why did it go so wrong? And we don't have time to read them, but there's two other chapters here um, where uh, Saul demonstrates 
that even though he's, he's gifted, even though he's anointed, even though he's a great warrior, his heart was not in the right place. The first was with the Philistines. So instead of waiting on the Lord, he actually uh, forgets to wait for God. He, the people are starting to run away. He's waiting for Samuel to show up, and, all, and his tiny armies start shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And he's like, you know what? I got to take things into my own hands. That was, that was problem number one. Second problem was with the Amalekites. God specifically told him to wipe them out. And Saul's like, mm, you know what? I'm just going to do it my own way. And they've got some nice stuff that I want to keep. And in fact, even he says, their stuff, I'm going to keep it so that I can make it a sacrifice to God. When God specifically told him, root it all out. Root it all out. He's like, well, no, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it to, to glorify you. All right? I'm going to use it to glorify you. And then Samuel, the Lord says this through Samuel to Saul. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have forsaken and rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Okay? Pretty amazing, right? And some of this actually echoes something. I want I, Rebellion is like the sin of divination. It's like, what? Rebellion is divination? Like witchcraft, you're like, ah, I, some of us have been, like, I've been a rebellious kid before. It's like, that's the sin of divination, of witchcraft? Arrogance, like the evil of idolatry. And some of you might recognize in their echoes of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Like, remember, we asked, like, who here has murdered anybody? And all of our hands are supposed to go up, right? Like, we're all murderers. All of us are murderers because Jesus says, hate, hate is mur unto murder, right? If you were angry and hated your brother, that's unto murder, all right? The same sort of thing. The, the heart of the issue, God is, again, looking at the heart, both in the good and the bad. He's looking at the hearts, right. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And in fact, when Saul says, hey, I got all the, I didn't listen to you because, you know, I, I saved all their, their, their rams and all their, their good stuff because I wanted to give it to as a sacrifice to you, God says, I don't want your sacrifice. Like, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, in Isaiah, God actually says, if you burned all the trees in Lebanon, it wouldn't be sufficient enough for me, right? It's all his to begin with. What he really wants is the heart, right? All these sacrifices and give, when we tithe and things, we're like, ah, I'm going to give you 10%, God. It's like the 100% was his. He gave it to us. We're returning it to him. Hey, the, he wants the heart. He doesn't need our little 10%, right? He doesn't need it, right? What he wants is the heart, those external things that are easy to see actually connect to the deeper thing that God wants, which is harder to see, which is the heart. Obedience, better than sacrifice. Right. And again, Isaiah 40, all the trees in Lebanon are not enough for the altar fires. All the animals in Lebanon are not enough for burnt offerings. Saul thought he could get away with just saying, oh, I'm, with not giving and obeying the heart of God by giving gifts. He thought he could buy his way into favor, back into favor, okay? But it, God says, it's not about these external things. I don't need those things. I want your heart. I want your heart. And, um, and this, uh, this is also where David is so different than Saul. And David, in Psalm 51, he sings about this very thing. And, that's, uh, and my sister talked about this. This is the beauty of reading about David is that we can actually listen to the songs that he sings as well at the same time. All right? The songs that he wrote, we can read them. And in Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, David says this, and contrast this with the heart of Saul in that story with the Malachites, where he's like, oh, I'm just going to give these as offerings, and, and it'll be okay. David says, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. 
Again, that's why David was the chosen anointed of God. He saw the truth of it, which is that God wanted the heart, right? A broken and contrite heart. Not the offerings and the sacrifices. Saul said, okay, you know, why, why is it bad that I disobeyed you? I, I'm giving you some sacrifices. God says, no. David sees the truth of it. I want a broken and contrite heart. A man after my own heart. That is David's, uh, that is David's theme. A man after God's own heart. Even in the midst of his sin. Even in the midst of his brokenness. Which is where he wrote Psalm 51, if you read it. This is after his sin with Bathsheba. But still, even in the midst of his, his failures, David sees the truth. In the midst of his failures, Saul did not see the truth. Right? He couldn't understand that God was after the heart more. This story that uh, we just read where um, uh, Isaac read out of chapter 16, the verse right before the beginning of chapter 16 is a stunning verse. In verse, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, 35, the end of that chapter, actually says God says he regrets, he regretted, regretted Samuel, or Saul, sorry. He regretted anointing Saul, all right? And it's kind of a stunning verse. You're like, man, God regretted? And, you know, the, um, and it's not in the sense that God made a mistake or God was like, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have done that. Obviously, God knew what was going to happen. The idea is that God regretted that this lesson had to be learned by the Jewish, by the Israelites. Right? He regretted the, the difficult lesson that everybody had to go through by allowing the people to pick their own king. All right? And that's what it really was. People ask, like, man, well, if, if God knew what was going to happen, if God knew that Saul was going to be such a terrible king, then why did he anoint him? And that's the hard truth of the lesson is that sometimes God gives us what we want, all right, for us to learn a lesson. I mean, how many people know that that's true, right? Like, God gives us, like, sometimes God lets us have it, things that we ask for, the things that we ask for in order for us to learn that our way is not as good, that his way is better. And that's exactly what happens in the story of Saul and David. The people ask for a king, not as God would give it, but as they wanted it. Because they saw the guy who was head and shoulders taller. They saw the guy that was beautiful beyond anybody else in the land. And they said, that's what we want. All right? And they didn't look at God's evaluation. David, you know, and David is God's chosen king. And when God chooses David, the descriptors that he used are complete contrast to what the people use for Saul. David, when God chooses him, uh, the Lord raises up David for his pleasure and for his own purpose, right? He says he anointed as a king for God. He's like, David is for me. I'm seeking a king for myself. You shall anoint David for me. I have provided for myself a king, all right? It's David is the king after God's own heart. Versus when Saul, when the people choose Saul, in chapter 8, they said the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no. We want a king over us that we can be like all the other nations, all right? Asking for, wanting a king was not a problem. And in fact, in Bible study, we, we've been studying, in fact, a king was promised. A king was promised to them, all right? And they actually, God gave in the Mosaic law duties and requirements for the king. So having, wanting a king was not the main problem. Wanting a king to be like the other nations was the problem, all right? They wanted a king not like God. They, they wanted a king not as God would choose it, but as they would have it, to be like everybody else, right? to be like everybody else. And we fall into that trap all the time too, right? Wanting something that is a good thing, that in and of itself is not an evil request, but we want it for ourselves. We don't want it for God. We want it for ourselves, right? That's idolatry. That's idolatry. Even as Samuel said to Saul, you know, that that's idolatry. Rebellion is like witchcraft because we want it, anything that we want, even good things, when we want it for ourselves more than we want it for God, that's idolatry. All right, and that's what he's saying to Saul, and that's what he's saying about David. David is the one that God chose. Saul was the one that the people chose. And God gave them what they wanted. 
Psalm chapter 24, again, a Psalm of David. David writes this, who may ascend into the holy hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek his face. Look at the requirements here. All right, who can ascend the holy hill of the Lord? Those who have clean hands and those who have pure hearts. That's what David is saying, and that's what David understood. And that's the essence of this whole, this whole chapter, this whole passage, is God looking at the heart. It's not just outward actions, clean hands, which are important, clean hands, holy actions. But even more important, pure heart, right? pure heart, righteous intent. And again, we go back to Sermon on the Mount. And get, Jesus actually quotes this uh, specifically in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for what? They shall see God, okay? Purity of heart the way to see God. Purity of heart is what God is looking for. Same thing in Psalm 24. Those who seek God's face, clean hands, and a pure heart. Those are the ones who are going to ascend the hill and see him. Those are the ones who are going to see him. All right. And that's God's way. That's God's way, not our way. You know, and it's a difficult thing to see the the heart. You know, one of my mentors once told me, um, he's a worship leader, I have Clay Edwards. Some of you might hear his songs. Clay Edwards, if you listen to his music, uh, not not outwardly all that great, all right? even of his own admission. Like he's, he's he's got some vocal, like he you know it acquired taste, but <laughs> acquired taste. But he loves the Lord. He's been faithful for the Lord for decades, decades, singing the songs of Jesus. And he told me one time, um, you know, discernment. Uh, the difficult part, of, sometimes the difficult part of discernment is not identifying uh, bad or evil things in people or, or uh, dangerous things in people. Sometimes the most difficult part of discernment is actually seeing the good in people, right? seeing the good things that God sees in them, the, God, the good things that God is going to call out in their lives. And sometimes it's even harder to see that than it is to see the bad things in them. Right? I think that's oftentimes true for us, um, is that we have, sometimes have a bad eye. Like we see, oh, man, that person's bad and it's dangerous. And, and sometimes there are, there are bad things that, and sin that we need to call out and root out in people's lives. But the harder thing sometimes is to say, oh, man, the good that God created in them, the, the, the giftings and anointings that are going to come forth out of him that God is going to call out. And that was what Samuel couldn't see in David. That's what nobody could see in David in chapter 16. And eventually David becomes a mighty warrior. David eventually becomes this mighty man of God. Um, he becomes the, this great king. But at that time, nobody could see it. Nobody could see it because we could only see the external, just like Samuel. And again, this is the essence of, of the Sermon on the Mount, is that God is after, after the heart. Even later, Jesus talks about uh, later in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, one day when he comes back, people are going to stand before him and say, you know, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. I mean, that's a that's a tough passage, right? Like those are great things, right? Like prophesying, like who who doesn't want to prophesy, right? Who hasn't prayed for the gift of prophecy or to cast out demons or to perform miracles and healings? Like, those are awesome things, right? But at the end, Jesus says, I will say to those people, away from me, because I didn't know you. You didn't know me. You didn't know my heart. I just look at those giftings. I mean, that's what Saul did. Saul prophesied. Saul was among the prophets, right? One day at the end of the age, Saul is going to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, didn't I prophesy? 
But God is going to say to him, I didn't know. I didn't have your heart. I didn't know your heart. You didn't know my heart. David's music drove out demons. David knew God's heart. It wasn't that his music was anointed and gifted that, that earns him that standing before the Lord. It was his heart before the Lord. His heart before the Lord. Again, see those two people, Saul and David, both with anointings and gifting. Saul prophesied. David had anointed music. But only one of them was a man after God's own heart. Only one of them found favor in the Lord. So I want to close with that, um, that idea and lead us into a time of response and the same thing. Because I, I'm saying it because I fall into it too. Again, even yesterday when I was listening to awesome worship music, I was like, man, those people, like, they must really love Jesus. And maybe they do, all right? But looking on the external, being, man, they're a really talented musician. They must have favor with the Lord. Or, man, that guy's a really great speaker. He must be more favored in the Lord before, instead of me because I'm not that good at music and I'm not as good at preaching and I'm not as good as these things. But the Lord, that's not his evaluation. That's the Samuel evaluation. That's the, the Saul evaluation. The true evaluation is in the heart. God sees the heart. I want that to be an encouragement for us, especially as people who have devoted ourselves to the house of prayer, right? Plenty of people, when you're leading a set and there's like one person in the room, right? Like, man, I was just at the send and there was like 5,000 people like worshiping the Lord and uh, man, I've just got my tiny little like ukulele and, and, and you know, there's only a couple people here. The Lord doesn't see it like that. The door, Lord doesn't see it like that. He sees the heart. He sees the heart where people look on the external. Right? So have we been deceived? Have we been deceived about ourselves in that same manner? Being like, man, if, if David, think about if David had that same mentality. Ah, I'm just here watching the sheep and just playing, you know, my little chords on the harp. You know, I, I don't have the standing to be, to be a king and anointed in God's vision. God says, no, he's the one. Anoint him. All right? Versus Saul. He's handsome. He's accomplished. His family is great. But God looks at his heart and says, witchcraft and, and, and rebellion. And do we do the same thing when we look at ourselves or when we look at other people? The, the, Jeremiah says this. I love this verse. All right, uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I don't even know my own heart is what Jeremiah is saying. I don't even know. Like the, the secret sin in my life, the way that I evaluate other people, the way I evaluate myself, sometimes I don't even know if I'm trusting in my external evaluation not trusting in the Lord. You know, the only person that can truly evaluate the heart is Jesus. And God gives us our, our body as well. You know, Jesus talks about it's easier to see the, the sin in somebody else's eye. It's easier to, to, to pluck out that log or pluck out that splinter in somebody else's eye. We don't see the log in our own, right? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. It's so hard to see our own sin. But God gives us the Holy Spirit and he gives us the body of Christ to be able to identify those things in our lives. Identify when our evaluation is off from God's evaluation. In, 